What if I told you that being in the right place at the right time was not a circumstance of luck? What if I told you it's a skill that you could learn and leverage to achieve your goals and dreams? This is the Right Place Right Now podcast with Travis Fields and Brandon Johnson. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Glad to have you. I am so excited to share this interview with you because today we are talking to my good friend, Gina Eady. Gina is one of those people that simply lights up a room when she walks in. Her inspiration, her joy, they're simply contagious. But what's really cool is on top of all of that, she's a legitimate and certified badass. Get this, in high school, Gina asked her parents to tear out their basement and build a dance studio. They obliged, and at the age of 17, Gina was in business. She taught dance lessons in the basement of her parents' house to pay for college, and after graduation, she opened her first location and now has four jive dance studios in Utah. Everything was going great until it wasn't. At one point, the world Gina knew fell apart around her. She separated from her husband and with that lost an entire community of friends. She found herself alone, and for the next year, she prayed for God to end it all. But this wasn't going to be her life. Gina started to rediscover her power and take control. She determined what was important to her and has dedicated her energy to align her actions and behaviors to the life she wants. Her belief? We're put here to have what we want, not get what we don't want. So when I see something that I want, I figure out how to go get it, Gina says. Searching for inspiration, love, and joy, she discovered it. And as you'll see in this episode, she exudes it. Enjoy our conversation with Gina Eady. Gina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being with us. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I wanted to bring you on the show because you seem to be somebody who is diverse in experience and knowledge and background, and you do a lot of really cool things. Like recently, you just said you needed to get me on a retreat, which I believe you organized and put on. Is that correct? It's correct. Tell us a little bit about what you do with these retreats, because at one point you were paying to go on retreats, but now you actually organize them and have people you take on these retreats. Yeah. So I want to start by saying I don't I'm not necessarily a fan or a proponent of maybe having an experience one time and then suddenly being like, oh, I'm the person to now navigate people through this experience. So I went on a retreat probably six years ago and it was just a yoga, a yoga retreat, but it happened to be hosted by, um, he's a really great relationship therapist named Mark Groves. Um, his, his Instagram is create the love. He's a good friend of mine. So I just want to flag him a little bit, but I went to one of his retreats probably like six years ago with a friend and never in my life had I ever even considered even going on a retreat. She wanted to go and I was like, okay, I'll go with you. You had to be interviewed and chosen to go. And, and, and I went and it was just a really, really great experience. And between that point and when I started hosting retreats, I was just doing um, a lot of, well, let me say this before the retreat, I was doing this too, but continued to do it. A lot of Kundalini meditation and my own personal practice of 
meditating, consciousness, mindfulness, awareness, um, a very strict and robust daily practice and had mentors and teachers and coaches. And then eventually I just felt comfortable enough to be like, hey, I think that I could lead a group of people doing, you know, having an experience where they retreat from their daily life and go on some exotic vacation and kind of mix maybe it, so to speak, a business with pleasure, the business of self-improvement and the pleasure of seeing a new beautiful place. And, and the retreats that I've been doing are just completely immersive. The people just trust enough to buy a plane ticket, they show up and everything else is on me, you know? So they just kind of retreat into my arms as well. And it's really great. What, what is the retreat experience for those listeners that aren't maybe familiar with it? Well, there are so many different types of retreats. And so I don't want to generalize and, you know, speak for all retreats. But um, I think the beauty of a retreat is just maybe finding one that something about the way it's marketed or whatever speaks to you, calls to you a little bit. You're curious about maybe that one as opposed to another one. And the benefit of a retreat is to just leave your daily life, kind of the, the rat race, the hamster wheel, so to speak, and put enough trust in yourself and enough sacrifice, I guess, to leave your life for a period of time. That means you have to take time off work. You have to plan babysitters. You have to put spend money and be out of work for the week or two weeks that you do it. And I think that type of investment in yourself when you get on the retreat, you really engage and involve yourself because you have sacrificed a lot to be there. I think that's different than maybe just doing maybe a daily online course that helps you with meditation or whatever the retreat is about. I think the main component and the secret sauce is that word retreat, retreat from your regular daily life, you know? That's the benefit. And I think you can do anything. You could go on a yoga retreat. You could go on a creativity retreat. You could go on a fitness retreat. Just anything that retreats you from your daily life seems to be really effective. What happens at these retreats that makes them beneficial over just, say, taking a vacation and going to sit on the beach for a week? Oh, my goodness. I love that question. Thank you for that. Um, I think it's. I think what makes it different than that is that it is much more purposeful than when we just say, Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go relax on the beach. Well, guess what? You have too many habits already in your brain that oftentimes you aren't even capable of relaxing. You you're going and you say, you're going to do that. But the whole time you're on your phone or you're worried about this, you're returning emails when you're not returning emails or working, you're trying to relax, but anticipating when you have to do that, feeling guilty that you aren't doing it. In a retreat, it's just like, put your technology away and let me step you through this vacation retreat. It's just being directed. It's almost like going into the gym and saying, you're brand new to the gym and saying, I'm going to have a great workout. I'm going to have the best workout of my life, but you have no idea really how to use the machines or whatever. You just know how to stand in the gym, like you know how to lay on the beach. But if somebody is there to guide you step by step and explain why you're going to this machine first and this machine second, it's just sometimes we just need guidance and it's better than just being left to our own habits that we don't even know that we have as habits. So it's like a personal trainer for your mental routine. 
your soul. Yes. Yeah, your soul. Of, Ooh, that's even deeper. That's the type of retreat you're doing. So yeah, I do meditation retreats and that's, yeah, that's, that's how it turns out is it's just stepping people through a, a progressive process for seven days. It gets a little bit more intense as, as the week goes on, asking a little bit more of them, a little bit more focus, a little bit more stillness, a little bit more trusting of themselves, looking in a little deeper, really balanced with a lot of just kind of play time too. You know, you definitely need, you need both because it's a lot, a lot to meditate for two hours at a time and what happens and what unfolds and what you're unpacking. And you need some time in the day to process that. And it's, it can be exhausting, you know? Yeah, I I bet, especially if that's not something you're already doing. Do you, uh, do, do you teach at these retreats lasting habits that somebody can take home with them and really begin to create a a lifestyle out of? We teach them, but most people don't do them because, because man, we, we seem to have a real, a real propensity to habits, you know? Well, it's hard too, because you've taken somebody out of their traditional environment to this retreat shown them how to rejuvenate, coach them, guide them through that, and then shove them back into their normal environment and said, now do all this cool stuff you got to do when you had no distractions in this new environment. So how do we translate that? Yes, that, that isn't exactly what we do. So kind of what the, the retreat experience is, why it's so big and intense and profound is in my opinion, they need that big profound experience to convince them this is something I, I want in my daily life. If they have one little taste of it after work one day, a 15 minute meditation, it's like, yeah, that was cool, but it's not profound enough for them to be like, I need this in my daily life. So always, always, every single step of the way for the whole week, there's always like, and every day you could do a little bit of da, da, da. And I'll see how we did that. You could take it home and you could da, da, da. And so always, always trying to show the participants how you can weave this into your daily life. And most people want to do it, but don't do it. And so they go on another retreat to be like, oh, I want that big experience again. And, you know, some people will eventually take it into their lives and use it on a daily basis. And some people won't. And I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to do it. It's just, you know, some people add new things into their lives easier than other people. But that I don't think that that negates the experience of the retreat. Like for example, if you went on your dream vacation somewhere and it lasted two weeks, but you couldn't be on that vacation for the rest of your life, that doesn't mean that there was no value to that two week, wonderful vacation, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You're talking about people taking this and having the right intention of taking this with them versus actually doing this in their life. You are somebody who is a doer of things. In your experience, what, how do you close that gap? Because a lot of people have good intentions, but can't seem to get the momentum going with the practice. No, Brandon, that is such a great question. And I think that is a question for every single human being, because even people that are doers have their limit to where they're like, oh, I wish I would actually do this too. Because I would consider myself absolutely a doer. And compared to some people, I do so much. And compared to other people, I do so little. And I don't think it really matters who we compare it to. I think the comparison is just within ourselves. 
Are you satisfied with the amount that you do or are you unsatisfied with the amount that you do and would you like to be doing more and have more unique experiences, jump into the unknown more often. And I think that that something that I'm getting better and better at the older I get, surprisingly, um, is, and I say surprisingly because I think my impression or my perception of older people has been that as they get older, they kind of like slow down, get a little crusty, get a little cynical, don't wanna try new things. And I'm, I'm talking as if I'm like 85, but I, I am almost 50. And when I was younger and I was thinking of people that were like 50, I wouldn't be thinking that they would be living the way that I'm living. Um, but I absolutely love it. Like, um, here's an example. Back in June, I, I okay, I'm a dancer. So the, these retreats that I do, they're totally just on the side. I don't it's, it's just for fun. You know, it's not, it's not my career. I don't care if I make a dollar off of it. If I make money, great. If I don't, I don't care. It's just something that I really love to do. And I think it's important to sometimes do things in life that you just totally love to do. And even if it requires a lot of effort and even costs me money, um, I just love to do it. And I think it's important to keep some of those things in your life and not just have to be paid for every single solitary thing that you do. And every minute of your time is so valuable that you can't ever just give time to something that you love. So the retreat things on the side, my true, true love affair in life has been with dance. And um, there's, there's this dance page that I have been following on Instagram, just this really unique Dominican style bachata salsa dancer. And I've just been following his page and a friend of mine who is Dominican and lives in the States now, and she's also opened her own dance studio. And I've mentored her through that a bit. I sent her a little clip of this guy dancing. And I was just like, look at his style. Oh my gosh. I love the way this guy dances. She texted me back and she was like, stop it. That is my best friend from college. I was like, shut up. She's like, she's like, let me hook you up with him. So she hooks us up. He doesn't even speak English. You know, we're trying to speak Spanish, whatever. He lives in New York. And I was like, I need to take lessons from you. So I booked a flight. I flew to New York. I stayed just over the river from the Bronx and, or Brooklyn. I can't remember which one it was, but I had to take the train in every day to a very sketchy part of town for a week. And I took private lessons from him and I just wanted to learn salsa and bachata from this dancer that I loved. And my friends and family were like, what the heck? Why don't you just learn on YouTube? I already know how to dance those styles, but I just wanted to learn. I just wanted to learn the nuance and the style. And I wanted that experience. And it ended up that he couldn't, because of COVID, he couldn't even get a dance studio to rent. So we just did it in his living room. And it was, it, you know, all my friends and family were like, you're crazy. I was just like, that's fine. But I love the experience of just, this is what I want to do. I met this person. There's a good connection. This is the universe saying, go do it. So booked the flight, took the lessons. It was awesome. And I had a really great experience. Yeah. Well, I, there's something in that, that you were able to say, I met this person online. He has a dance studio in New York. I'm going. And, and then you did, what do you, what is it in you that just was able to make those decisions so easily? Cause I feel like most people have so many either self doubts or limiting factors or just 
I don't have time for that or like whatever, call them excuses if you want. But to be able to just say, that's something I want to do and I'm going to take action on it. What is that? How, how did you do that? There are so many experiences that I've had like that, that I'm just like, I love it. I'm doing it. I don't know how I really started to be that way. Maybe I can unravel it, but I think that I am a real lover of inspiration. Like I'm inspired easily. And when something inspires me and I get this thing that I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to have that experience. I just, I don't question it. And I don't, I don't question it in like planning it, but trust me along the way, there's a lot of times I'm like, oh, should I have done this? But you know, the flight's delayed and da, 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 but okay, whatever. And then always at the end of the experience, all those little glitches and roadblocks just made the experience even sweeter because it was just like, it wasn't smooth sailing. It wasn't so easy. It was just like, there were all these barriers, but still I had the experience and I loved it. And most of the time I just do it by myself because a lot of people aren't willing to just, yeah, I'll go with you. But I think what makes me that way is one, I can, I struggle to say no when something really inspires me. I just got to do it. Two, life has taught me that we're here living these lives, not to get what we don't want, but to get what we do want. And when something crosses my path that I do want, my tendency is to be like, hmm, I want that. How can I get it? Not, I want that, but there's no way and I couldn't and it's impossible. None of that. It's usually just like, I want to have that. What can I do to experience that or have that? Or how can I get it closer within my reach? And life always supports me in that. So it's just kind of a little cycle that we're in, you know, me and my best friend called life. Yeah. My, I mean, a lot of mindfulness practices have what they refer to as surrender, right? And that's, I think is what you're talking to is just kind of letting go of your expectations, going with the flow. A lot of things refer to it as flow. Is that always been a natural ability of yours? Because these practices tell us we can actually put them in practice and you work in this world a little bit. How do we fall into that? Because I think a lot of people fight that flow. They allow those things, those delayed flights, those red flags of the sketchy part of town to not allow us to just see what happens in those experiences. Oh, wow. Great question. I think a lot of it comes down to just personality because we all know that like everybody's kind of wired uniquely and some people have more of a growth mindset and some people have more of a fixed mindset and I think if you have a fixed mindset there's a there's a lot of things that will be really good for you I think a fixed mindset is good for a lot of things but I also think that when it's time for adventure a fixed mindset might get in your way and there's times where my growth mindset kind of gets in my way too, because there's things that I could be a little more cautious about, but I'm just like, ah, you know, adventure, yay, you know? So I don't, I don't want to say that being one way is better than the other, but I do think that it's, it's an easier route into the way that I live if you have more of a growth mindset, because you step off the platform on the subway by yourself 
into the sketchiest part of town you've ever been in in your life, just walking around the corner to knock on some stranger's door and have dance lessons in his living room while all of his friends are sitting there smoking hookah, just watching you dance, like, ah, you know? But then you just make friends with the people and they, and you feel comfortable. And by the time it's over, you're just like, wow, I made a bunch of new friends. I have new connections. I had a new experience. Yes, it was scary at times, but it's okay. And I, I think the, the little, little steps you take in that direction builds trust. Just like anything we do, trust is built one little step at a time until eventually you have a lot of big trust. And if people kind of take chances and are doers a little bit by little bit, and they notice it, which is where meditation and mindfulness and consciousness and self-awareness comes in. If you just notice it, become a more of an observer of your life than just a liver of your life. If you observe those things, you watch yourself like trusting life a little bit more and more all the time, because I'm a believer that life is always happening for us, not to us, that it has our back. It's here to support us. It's, it's life is doing everything it can to make us have the best experience possible. And when we think that we've messed it up or something's gone wrong, life will swoop in and be like, no, 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 no. Reframe it. Tell a different story. Look at it differently. And, and then there you go. And life, I think, at least my life is always doing that for me. Yeah. I think that's probably like most people would be so scared to just act like that. And it seems like it comes pretty easy for you, but I do kind of want to dig into the the fear aspect of your life. Is there are there are there places in your life where fear is a limiting factor? Oh my hell, yes, totally. Let's, so let's many. Let's talk about those. <laughs> just okay, <for> let's <laughs> do. But I'm so I'm too afraid. I don't know if I can. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I the the point here is like that. That's a fear for a lot of people. Living like that is a fear for a lot of people. But that doesn't mean just because you're able to say I'm just going to go do all these things. That doesn't mean that you're just 100% fearless and nothing stops Gina, you know, so what, what are the things that you find yourself limited, uh, limited by with fear? I feel like I have for sure a fear of failure. And sometimes even though like I'm saying that I jump into all of these experiences and I do, I have a fear of not doing them for fear of like, did I fail my life? Did I fail my, did I fail these opportunities that came in front of me? So I, I have a fear of not living my fullest, richest life. Um, I have a fear of, what is the best way to put this? I have a fear of hurting people. And because of that fear, I have, I keep like romantic relationships at a very arm's length because in the past, the most profound romantic relationship I've had, I've really hurt the other person. And I've I've thought so many times over the past eight years, man, I wish that I was the person that was hurt rather than the person who did the hurting because I can get over my own hurt. It's hard for me to get over someone else's hurt that I caused. And so I, I, I have a fear of, of romantic relationship commitment because 
I don't want to hurt. But the irony in that is, is that I spend time with people and we start to like each other. And then I have to be like, oh, sorry, that's enough. Because I can't get too, I can't let them get too close because I'll hurt them. But when I chop it off so early like that, it hurts them. That's that's great self-awareness. And you're obviously, you practice this a lot. You're talking about mindfulness and your self-awareness. When you are sitting with something like that, let's use this as an example. You've obviously put a lot of thought into your barrier into romantic relationships. What are some of the things that, some of the practices that you approach because you have a handful of practices just for our listeners who's sitting at home and they're like, okay, I'm aware of this, but who cares? How do I work through it? Or what do I do with it? I know that I'm like this, but there are ways that we can work through that. Right. How do you recommend we start with that? Obviously the, the most obvious answer is you can get a therapist and they can help you through it. Um, but what I have done, and I still have this fear, so it's not like it's, I've totally worked through it, but I'm trying to be very sensitive to, um, I'm trying to be sensitive to my spirit and where that balance is of um, maybe getting over the fear, accepting the fear and moving through it but also not just stepping into something that I don't want to do just to prove to myself that I'm over the fear, if that makes any sense. So I'm not trying to like have all these tools to make it so that, um, you know, so I can get in a romantic relationship that's long-term and committed because actually at this point in my life, I don't really want that, but I, but I do want to conquer this, fear of uh, keeping people at a little bit at a, at a distance so that I don't hurt them. That's really what I want to do. Does that show up in other places other than just romantic relationships, like just like in work relationships or other personal relationships? I'm sure that it does, but it mostly should, the, the way where I see the most is in romantic relationships, but for sure it, I don't know. I feel like in my work relationships, it's not as much because a work relationship and where I'm the boss, it has to be a lot more diplomatic and I'm, you know, I'm sensitive to not hurt the people, but also I have to be diplomatic and I have to be a good leader and all of that and be sensitive. I think I'm already sensitive to how people feel. So what I have to do as a leader is almost, it's the other direction in leadership because I have a tendency to be so about their feelings and, and sometimes I have to be like, okay, this person's going to feel bad when I say this to them, but for the good of the whole company, it has to be said. And so I need to find a way to say it with love and sensitivity and support and nurturing so that this person doesn't feel rejected or hurt, but still feels motivated to be part of the team. I think I'm good at that. But I think that with maybe my children, I have three adult sons, they're 18, 22, and 26. I think that I can be better at just having, you know, deeper, more raw conversations with them, which is weird that this is coming up in this podcast because I was bawling my eyes out just this morning because my 18 year old and I had a really sensitive and intense conversation that was really, it was, it just had my emotions at the surface and my natural tendency is to be like, oh, if I talk to you about these things, if I respond to you in the way that I want to, I might hurt you. And so I want to 
go back from that, but I'm noticing that in myself. So instead of leaning away, I lean in and just say, and just kind of remind myself that this young man has the skills and tools, maturity and competence to handle what I'm going to say to him with love and respect, you know? So that's maybe the long answer to your question. How do I do that in relationships? I'm finding that I just have to trust that that person can handle it. You were talking about how you do this in your empire, right? You, you, won't, you have this organization, dance studio, several dance studios. Is that correct? Four. Four dance studios. And you, obviously you value this emotional intelligence, self-reflection. You talk about love. And you use that as a filter when you're talking to your people. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's really very unique in organizations and in with teams of people is coming from them from a place of love and, and emotional intelligence. How did you build your business around the things that you value and appreciate? It just came so naturally because I just told you that my first love affair of life is with dance. And so to open, I opened my first dance studio when I was 17 and I just, I've just been, I've just been doing what I love for my entire life. And I love dancing. I love teaching dance. I love watching dance. I love learning to dance. I love everything about dance. And so to build a business around something that I am so passionate about. I think everything about the whole business that's built on love and support and passion has just come naturally because I have a passion for the art, for the industry, for everything about it. So anybody that comes into the space, the dancers, the parents, the lighting people, the costume vendors, the videographer, the teachers, anyone surrounding it. I just have a genuine passion for all of it. And so it just, there's, there's not, I don't think it would be natural for me to not interact with the teachers, the parents, the students with just genuine love, because they're all participating in the love fest that I'm having with my business, you know, so it's been actually easy. At 17, a lot of the conversations we have with people is how did you discover this passion? But how did you at 17 know this was the passion and determine how to make it a, a way of life? You're so young. I think a couple of things. When I was moving out of my parents' house to go to college and I was digging everything out, I found my Hello Kitty journal that I wrote in when I was eight years old. I got it for my eighth birthday. And I was reading through my eight-year-old Hello Kitty journal, and it's just talking all about dance and how I love it, and I want to open my own dance studio, and I want to go to BYU on a dance scholarship, and, I, and, and when I found the journal, I was already doing all of those things. So I just, I don't know, I just had, I knew what I loved when I was young, thanks to my parents for seeing me wiggle around and dance when I was little and putting me in classes when I was two. And I just, when you're two, I don't know how much it's nature or nurture of your personality, but um, even when I was two, my dance teachers teased me and was like, at two, you were in the front and the center, you knew all the counts. 
you just did everything. Like I was a good student, even when I was two, I was taking it in. It was just something natural. And so I, when I was 17, um, I was the, I was on the drill team at our high school and I was the captain of our cheer squad and doing a lot of choreography and stuff like that. And I begged my parents to rip out our downstairs family room and make it into a dance studio. And they're so awesome. And they did it. And I just started teaching dance to all of the drill team and the cheerleaders, all of their little sisters. Cause I had quite the reputation at our school that like, I'm the dancer. They're like, oh my gosh, I want my sister to take from you. Da, 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 da. So everyone started taking dance. And that's actually how I paid for college was teaching dance out of my parents' basement and with my scholarships. And, you know, my parents couldn't have sent me to college and that's how I did it. And then eventually, you know, I, I opened like a brick and mortar in um, Orem and just kind of went from there and it's been growing ever since, but I've never been, wow, it's been 32 years since that studio in my parents' basement and never once have I thought of that as this, as a job, you know, as work, I've never in my life said, I have to go to work. I always like, I'm going to dance. I need to do some dance choreography today. I need to do some items with music and costumes and stuff, but I've never thought of it as work, you know? And some people would say, don't make your hobby your job, but I say the exact opposite. If you can monetize what you love, you will never work a day in your life. You'll just be inspired all the time. Now, you're obviously a pretty passionate person. Uh, I don't think everyone has that level of passion for just life. How would you advise somebody who maybe doesn't know that, like, I mean, at two years old or at 22 years old, really, like, I don't know what my passion is yet. How, what would you advise somebody who maybe doesn't have that natural passion to figure out what it is that makes them tick? Or your kids. I was just going to say, I was just going to say all three of my sons, they don't know what their passion is. And it, it weirds them out that I've always been from a young age on this trajectory. And I've just, this is what I want to do. And this is what I'm doing. But I would say, and this is what I say to my sons all the time. And I hope this isn't a crappy answer, but you don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to know your passion when you're 18. You don't have to know it when you're 30. You don't have to know it when you're 35, you know, just it's something that happens naturally. And I don't think that you can force it. And I don't think that we have to put a timeline on it. And just because somebody knew theirs when they were two, eight, nine, ten, and somebody else didn't recognize theirs till they were 62 and decided that realized they love, love painting or something. I think that's part of the surrender. It just, you can't force a passion. You can't search for a passion. It's, it lives in you and you observe it and discover it. You don't, go searching for it. It already lives inside you and just needs to be discovered, but it happens naturally in my opinion. Do you think everyone has that in them? No. Ooh, that's not a common answer. I, I'm curious to hear the answer here. <laughs> I don't think that everybody has the same qualities as each other. And like I said, in the beginning, I'm very easily inspired and that's just kind of a, I think it's a gift and I'm comfortable saying that that's a gift. I think we all have gifts, but I think one of my gifts is that I'm easily inspired. I don't have to try for it. I don't have to work for it. It's not something I practiced. 
It's just something that is, was gifted to me in my personality, but I don't think everybody has that. And I don't think everybody has to have it. And I don't think that people that don't have this just gurgling passion inside of them. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. They might have this very steady logic. They might be very stoic. They may be very logical and very um, disciplined in, in certain areas. But I think when we compare ourselves to other people on just character characteristics like this that are just born in us, I think it's just recipe, recipe for disappointment because find what's unique about you you know, and you don't have to be as passionate as someone else. And, and what if you went your whole life and you never discovered that you had a deep passion for something? That's okay. That, that, that doesn't mean you can't live this amazing life that you love. You just might not have that same quality where you just gush over things. I'm a gusher. Like when I love something, I love it so bad. And I just can't contain myself. But not everybody's like that. And that is okay. Like none of my sons are like that. And I, they have great qualities, but they're different from mine and they're different from each other. And I just think it's okay to be uniquely you. And it's, we are better that be at being uniquely ourselves when we aren't trying to compare ourselves to someone else, which is easy to say and hard to do. But I think it's like great to always keep checking yourself and being like, oh, am I comparing? I compare myself to people all the time. And when I feel I can always trace it back to, ah, uh, I'm comparing myself to someone and I'm, I'm not that person. And if they're comparing themselves to me, they're going to feel too, because they are not me. And so I, I try to stay in check with myself in that area. And I don't always do great with it, but I'm always checking in. Yeah, maybe, maybe in this context, passion isn't the right word. Do you think everyone has a gift that they can discover? Cause you were talking about gifting, like you're gifted. You're, you're one of your gifts is passion. So maybe we turn the conversation away from what are we passionate about? to like, how do we, how can someone who isn't naturally just overflowing with passion find what they're gifted at? Well, I'm always turning to the tools that I use and the tools that I know. And my, for me, my best tool is meditation. Just getting still getting quiet and you discover a lot about yourself. I, I like this, I like this analogy or whatever you would call it. You know how it's sometimes easy to judge somebody. Think of a time when you've judged somebody and you didn't really like them, but then you got to know them and you're like, oh my gosh, confession. I thought you were the biggest jerk or da da da. But I, but I like you now that I know you, I like you, whether you confess it to the person or just to yourself, we've all had that experience before. And almost always when we really get to know somebody, we really like them. And imagine if there was someone you wanted to get to know and you just sat in front of them for hours and hours and hours and hours and just observed them. You didn't talk to them about anything. You didn't lecture them about anything. You didn't judge them. You just watched them for hours and hours and hours, you would really know that person. And when you really know someone, you tend to really love them. And that's what meditation is just sitting and looking at yourself, observing yourself over time. It ends up being hours and hours and hours, and you get to know yourself well, and you really get to love yourself. 
And I think when we love somebody, it's easy to see the gifts in that other person. And when that person is you, you, you see your gifts. I think that might be the best advice I've heard on that topic yet. Oh, yeah. Especially it gives meditation some context that we've had a few people talk about. They do it, but your observance of yourself, have you worked with people that meditation is hard to get into if you're not ready for it. Right. But if somebody's playing with that idea, what would you offer them to, to maybe dip their foot in the pool and take those first few steps? Probably not a retreat with you over 10 days, right? Right, right. Well, no, in fact, the last retreat I just did last month in Jamaica, there were 12 people and almost every single person had never meditated in their life. What? Incorrected. Okay. And they were all, I was so inspired by their engagement, their trust, their trust in me to guide them, their trust in themselves to just do it. It was not easy. I mean, they were, meditation is not easy at times. And man, they were, they were champions. And I was so moved and inspired by their efforts and their willingness to show up for themselves. It like, that's why I love doing those retreats. I grow so much just by organizing it and watching them and facilitating it. It's amazing for me too. So it's very self-serving and very selfish because I love it and I get so much from it. But I would say if somebody wanted to start a meditation practice, I would number one, not be too hard on yourself and make it like, oh my gosh, I have to do it every single day. And I didn't do it and crap, crap, crap. You know, people have a tendency to do that because anybody who is a self-starter and wants to start something new, sometimes with that personality also comes some perfectionism. And so when you miss a day, you're just like, oh, I would say, don't do that. Just do put something somewhere that reminds you to do it every day and try to do it. And I would just sit in a chair. I would just sit straight up with your feet on the floor and I would put your hands, whichever is most comfortable down like this on your knees where you can feel your own body which is kind of like an integrative, I'm just putting them like up because the camera, but I would just put them on my legs, on my knees. And when you actually touch your body, you just like observe how it feels to touch yourself, just to touch your legs. I, I love, I, I do that a lot. I touch my own body a lot because I just love how it feels. But you can sit like that or turn your palms upward and just kind of relax your elbows, put your hands in a comfortable position with your palms up is kind of more of a receiving stance, you know, a position and you feel a little bit like kind of open to receiving when you're like that. But I would just sit straight up. I put in my headphones. I would play some very just calming, beautiful music, just something that you like, um, not with lyrics, not music that you already have a connection to that can bring up emotions or experiences from the past or anxiety for the future just something very that you're not attached to. And I would, I would breathe in and out the nose and I would breathe in for the count of four, gently suspend the breath at the top, not hold it and be tight, but just suspend it at the top for a count of four, exhale for a count of four and hold at the bottom for a count of four and just keep doing that. The counting kind of keeps your mind a little focused and keeps it from wandering. Um, the breath, that type of breath is very calming. And I would say, just start your practice and commit to doing that for three minutes 
every day. I mean, you spend three minutes brushing your teeth. You can spend three minutes on oral hygiene morning and night. We could spend three minutes with our spiritual hygiene, you know, and even three minutes of that is going to, you're going to feel different, you know, and then you can just work up and maybe you do it five minutes after you've been doing it for a couple of weeks and eventually you're going to feel great. The thing with meditation practices is once you find one that you like, it's addicting and you'll grow it on your own terms pretty quickly, but you got to find one that's comfortable. Yeah. Well, let's put this into daily routine and practice. I know I'm, I'm, I feel you on like the passion thing and like adventure and I'm always up for a good time. I have a really hard time keeping structure in my daily routine. Do you find that too? Or did you at one time, like it, it was, was that a struggle for you? And I'm asking selfishly because I have a follow-up question. <laughs> um, sometimes my, I kind of have an ebb and flow with that. It's kind of weird. I'm a very, oh man, what I'm about to say is going to like open up a whole other something, but I'm just going to say it. I used to be extremely non-adventurous. No, I think the adventure was always in my spirit, but it was like suppressed in the relationship that I was in and, you know, no, no negativity toward that relationship. It just was the dynamic of the relationship. And so in that relationship, I was very, very structured and very organized because that's what the relationship needed in order to survive. But then when the relationship didn't survive anymore and I could just kind of be more of myself, I've been very adventurous and very, so much more spontaneous. But for so, so many years, I had this very structured life. So there is some residue of that. So now I feel like I have a nice balance of being spontaneous and adventurous. But when I'm on my adventures, guess what? I work out every day on my adventures. I get up early and I do a great workout and I do a meditation and I'm able to keep some of the structure things that are important to me amidst chaos and adventure and, and stuff like that. So I feel, I feel like I have a nice balance most of the time. Sometimes I just suck at it. And when I suck at it, I, I hate it. And I, and I go into this like, oh man, I can do better. Like, what am I doing? This is not who I am. This is not what, and then I have to be like, meditation, girl, calm down. Just observe the things that you're great at. Notice your blind spots, do a little better, but don't freak out. You know, I'm, I definitely have a perfectionist tendency. So I have to watch that because it can, it can really derail me. Yeah. Well, and that was kind of where my follow-up question, you kind of almost answered it is I, I don't like routine because when I don't do the routine, I'm way too hard on myself. Yes. So my question was going to be like, how do you combat that? And, and you kind of, kind of answered it already. So, and you know what, this is, I, I love that you said that because I am seriously, I relate to that so much because I'm so like that, but something that I've been doing maybe the last year or so that I, um, for me, it's such a great tool. It might help you too, is why I'm going to share it. When I, when I get into a, into a spot where like, I haven't been doing the things necessarily that I know are good for me and that I love so much and that I like to be structured at. And I just kind of get this momentum of yuckiness. This is what I do. I do it rapid fire. It's so embarrassing and stupid, but 
it, I think it works so great to just pop you out of that and just be like, oh my gosh, I'm fresh. Let me start fresh. Um, I have to use my name. I have to say it out loud. I do it in the car. I do it in my bedroom. I do it in the shower. I have to be by myself because it's very embarrassing. But I say these three, I say these three things to myself. The first one is, I'm going to demonstrate it for you. Okay. Has to be very fast, has to be very authentic. And you, and I just have to go. I start with Tina. I'm so proud of you for all the times that you've meditated. I'm so proud of you for opening a business that you love so much. I'm so proud of you for holding the door open for that person yesterday when your arms were full. I'm so proud of you for, for putting your phone down and looking Hudson straight in the eyes when he was talking to you. I'm so proud of you for trying to be the best mom that you can. I'm so proud of you for having good nutrition at the times that you can. Blah, 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 blah. I just go on a rampage of what I'm proud of myself for. Stupid little things, big things. I just can't even take time to think about it. I just have to rapid fire. And it becomes obvious when it's complete. The second thing I go into is, once again, I have to say my name. It's more powerful. Gina, I forgive you for not working out the last two days. I forgive you for not always being the best mom. I forgive you for eating that shit Kit Kat at midnight last night. I forgive you for, and I just go on like that. All the things that I am feeling some self-shame about and just forgive myself. The last one is Gina, I'm so excited for you because you have a trip to Jamaica coming up and the retreat is coming and you're so excited and people showing up. I'm so excited for you because you have a new workout routine and you've got these super hot little leggings that you're going to wear. I'm so excited for you because you're getting your hair done tomorrow and you're doing something new and you like, like those three things I'm proud of you for, I forgive you for, and I'm excited for you for. And if I ever feel shitty, if I just rattle those three things off, I'm just suddenly like, mm. My life's awesome. I'm awesome. I'm proud of myself. There's some things that need forgiveness and I'm excited. Boom. Go. Why do you think people have such a hard time with that? Cause this is a fantastic practice, but I can see somebody getting hung up on the, I'm so proud of like people don't like to toot their own horn or, or even what you just said, I like myself. I'm awesome. Why are we not like that? Why can we not just be excited about who we are and love that about ourselves? Well, a lot of reasons. We find that there's a virtue in like being rude to ourselves, putting ourselves down. Somehow we've gotten in this narrative of like, when you put yourself down, there's virtue in that. Like, that's so stupid. And second, I think it goes back to what I said before. When you don't know somebody, it's hard to toot their horn. It's hard to speak honestly about what you love about someone when you don't know someone. And guess what? We don't know ourselves. We don't spend time with ourselves at all. And, but when you spend time with yourself, you're going to love yourself. You can't help it. Every person has a lot of really great qualities and we recognize them in others. Like you, we could talk about our family and friends and toot their horn to the end of time, but that's because we know them. Right. And when you know yourself, you, you feel the same about yourself and you don't feel that weird about saying like, this is what I'm good at. These are my blind spots. I'm awesome at this. I suck at that. That's okay. I think we would live in a much better world if people knew themselves better and felt okay about saying like, I'm, I'm awesome at these things. It makes it easier to then say, I'm not so great at these things and it's okay. And I think you're something that really needs to be called out here is like actually knowing yourself versus like this identity that you're supposed to have for yourself. Because we can say that, like, I know I'm good at this and I'm bad at this. 
but sometimes we wear those things as a badge of courage. I think what the meditation practice is, it lets you actually shed those things that are, are, or aren't you. And you, you talked about that a little bit, right? Like you said, you shed this relationship, which led you into this whole self-discovery phase of your, your passion and your enthusiasm and your excitement. Share us a little bit about what that transition looks like and what do people, how do we come to terms with our true identity versus some of these badges we own? Clarify, I'm still discovering one meditation at a time. Um, but the transition was brutal. And it wasn't something that I was looking for. It wasn't something that I was trying to do. I just knew that I couldn't be in that relationship anymore. And I was so, so scared as like a, as a Mormon mom who was married as a virgin at age 19 and had just been raising my kids, running my studio, which I never even considered as a job. I wouldn't, if somebody said, do you have a job? I would have been like, no, I have a dance studio. You know what I mean? I literally for the first 18 years that I had the studio, I would have never even considered myself that I even had a job, but I was running my own business. And part of that is because of the, the denial I had to have within myself as a Mormon mom, I feel too guilty to have a job because the way I was perceiving it, I am not going to speak for every Mormon, but it's not, if a Mormon mom has a job, like how dare you? Because your job is to raise your children. And the narrative is you can't raise your children and have a job and be good at both of them. So one of them's going to suffer. And if you do the job, your kids are going to suffer. And how dare you? So in my mind and in my heart, I could, could have never even been like, I have a job, I have a career because that's saying, I don't love my children. So I, I couldn't say that I was never running a business. And, and as whacked out as that is, there is something a little weirdly good for me about that because I never saw it as a job. I just loved doing it, you know, but also I couldn't think of it as a job, but then eventually I just was living in a, in a box in the relationship and the religion that was getting so tight. Like, like if you put a pair of shoes on a, on a baby and they fit when you put them on, but the baby grows and then the feet are just chilling and like, you could barely walk. That's what my life felt like is I, I put those shoes on willingly when I was 19, but then it, in my forties, I was like, I can't walk in these shoes don't fit. And I had to take off the shoes, which symbolically is, I think Mormonism weaves marriage and religion so tightly that if you leave one, you leave the other. If you stay in one, you stay in the other. And that was my perception of it. And I, leaving the marriage was leaving the religion, leaving the religion was leaving the marriage. It was just like, hmm. And in that community, you're really leaving everything, right? Because that, that community's tight knit. Like I've spent some time there. So there's shedding of friends and other relationships that come along with that. It's all pretty tight held, right? Uh, and the judgment and all, oh, it was not easy. You guys, it was, oh, it was not easy, but looking back on it, I'm so proud of myself for having the courage to do what I had to do. And oh my gosh, did I leave some in my wake? Yes. And, and it's still unfolding eight years later, you know, my kids are still dealing with some issues, 
But I've had to come to terms with the fact that my parents are still married to each other and they're still in the church. And me and all of my four sisters, we're still unraveling from our childhood too and their relationship and all that, you know? So I can't really just blame it on like, oh, if I would have stayed married and stayed in the religion, my kids wouldn't have these issues. True, they wouldn't have these issues, but they'd have other ones because that's kind of part of life. We're all unraveling our childhood and trying to make peace with it and manage it. And of course, my favorite tool for that is meditation. But um, transitioning out of that and into the life I live now was not easy, but it was totally worth it. And, and I actually really love the contrast. I love, I love it. And every day, I can honestly say that every day of the last eight years, I have woken up in my big king-size bed by myself. Because I'm, a, I'm afraid of relationships, so I'm in this bed by myself. But I wake up every morning just so, just so thankful for the dark times and the hard times because I, I really overcame something. I really, it took a lot, a lot of courage and strength and conviction. And now the way my life is that I can just... I don't know, I can be in Costa Rica with some friends and another friend call and say, hey, do you want to come out to Qatar? We're do I'm doing this and that. You have to be here in four days. Okay, I'll do it. Mm, bye. Book the ticket while I'm in Costa Rica, fly out. You know, I just, I can do what I want. My kids are raised. I'm really thankful that I had my kids really young as a Mormon mom because now in my late 40s, my kids are grown. I'm single. So I really don't have regrets of what happened before and I'm not really having much anxiety of what will happen in the future I'm just really learning that right now this moment is where is where life is it's not yesterday and it's not tomorrow it's just now because eventually tomorrow was going to be the now of yesterday so if you can't learn to live in the now you can't you'll never learn to live so somebody that's sitting at home right now and they have this vision of their life looking dramatically different than it looks as they sit here today, as somebody that's experienced that, what do you, what guidance do you offer them if they're listening to this? They, they feel like that shoe's too tight on them and they know they need to take it off. What do you tell them? I would say trust, trust your gut about the timing. If you take the shoes off too early, you're going to regret it. You take them off too late, you're never going to be able to walk. You're going to be in too much pain and need therapy. So trust the timing. Like be sensitive. Sit still. Listen to yourself. You'll know when the time is right to take off those shoes. And, and then when the time is right, you just look forward. You just gather your support system. It can even just be one person. It doesn't need to be a huge community of people. You find even that one person who can support you emotionally through it. And, and you ask them if you can lean on them and make sure they're in a position to agree to that, to that position in your life. And you just move forward with courage, just having trust that life is like cradling you and supporting you. And Life will be there for you when you come through this, you know, every step of the way. I had a year where 
every night I would go to bed. This is right after the divorce. And I had three young kids and I was in graduate school and oh my gosh, I was running a nonprofit. I had my businesses. I was managing my kids' emotion. I was managing all the judgment of the community and my family and everything around leaving the church and the divorce and uh And for a year, and when I look back on this, I'm just like, how was I that person? But I really was. For a year, I would go to bed and lay on my pillow and just be like, to the powers that be, thank you. I've had a great life. I'm so thankful for it. Today is the last day that I can handle. And and it's been great. And I'm going to go to sleep. And I really don't think I can wake up in the morning because I can't face tomorrow like I did today. And I can't face tomorrow. It's too much. And so thank you for my life. Goodbye. And then I'd wake up in the morning and be like, I can do one more day. I just have to do one day. And I'd get through the day and be like, thank you again. The last day. And I, every day for a year, I would just like, please let it be the last day. And eventually, slowly, slowly, I was like, not like that anymore, you know? And I just... I guess I just had endurance and had a support system and just trusted through it. And I'm so glad that I did because now I can't, I look back on that girl and this like, wow, that girl really existed, but she's really, she's really changed and grown and become something new and different. And I'm proud of it. On this side of it, would you do it all again? Knowing what you know, all the pain, all the hurt, all the judgment, all the not wanting to wake up again tomorrow, would you go do it again? Well, it's easy to say yes, because I love where I am now. So that's really all I can say. And and you know what? This is a, this is a Byron Katie statement. I'm paraphrasing. She says it much more eloquently, but things are the way they are because they couldn't have been any other way. And if they could have been, they would have been. So I just accept that life is exactly the way it should be for me because guess what? If it should have been different, it would have been. And you're very intentional. Like there was a point in your life where you're like, I need to take control of this, right? And that that led to where you are now and that growth and you having to shed some stuff and go through all that pain. Why do why do we have to get to that point of pain where the shoes are too tight? If we know we want to go somewhere. What do you think in your experiences that we hang on to it to a point where it breaks us versus just being like, you know what, this is uncomfortable. It's not too tight yet, but it's uncomfortable. Let's shed it early. I have a few things to say about that. I think sometimes we can act out of inspiration rather than desperation. I think there's definitely possibilities for that. And the more I'm self-aware, the more I realize, ooh, I feel a little twinge of discomfort let me manage that while I can receive inspiration about it. Hence the little I'm proud of, da, 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 I forgive you for. That's when I feel a little discomfort about things and I can employ those tools and be like, let me inspire myself rather than get so desperate that I have to do take other measures. But when it comes to, let me give a little you a little analogy. You know, um, you know when you're on like a fitness regime and and you're on that thing where they're like, eat six meals a day. And you're just like, oh my God, I'm not even hungry. And you're just shoving in this nasty protein bar. You're like, that's hideous. But imagine how the difference of that, of just like eating because you're told to and whatever. 
compared to how it feels to eat when you are so hungry. Like maybe you're going on a camping trip. You started early. You finally get to the campsite. You set everything up and it's time to cook the dinner over the fire and it takes forever and you're starving. That, that meal is so amazing because you were hungry. And sometimes the change is so spectacular because you were in so much pain. And sometimes that polarity and that contrast is awesome. And it's exactly what we need and it's okay. So I think all of us will have times in our lives where we don't change until we hit the ground, but that's okay because you crack your head on the ground and then you heal from it. You're like, wow, that feels a lot better than a cracked head. But other times you'll, you'll be able to do it with inspiration instead of desperation. So I think we have to be open that we're going to have both experiences and it's okay. So let's talk about your studio. We're kind of getting towards the end of our time here, but you have these studios they are across Utah, correct? I mean, not really across Utah, but across Utah County. Across Utah County. Okay. So if you're in the area, check them out. The name? Jive Dance Studio. We have, we have a studio in Riverton, Orem, Vineyard, and Springville. So Utah County and Salt Lake County. So in this environment that we operate in, in this world, you are a woman who's killing it in business. What is your legacy to a younger generation of inspiring entrepreneurs and maybe even female entrepreneurs? Oh man. Like I said before, if you can find something that you love and monetize it, that, that love that you feel for it will permeate your every decision, every move, every person that comes in contact with your business, that sincerity and that intention will be felt. And it's so great to do the things we love. And imagine getting paid to do what you love. That would be, that would be my advice. Find something that you love and monetize it. And maybe, maybe what you just love is monetizing. So as long as you're monetizing something, maybe that is where the love is going to come, but be self-aware and observe and find the love and the enjoyment in it along the way. And, and then really when it, if you're, if that's what happens, you won't really be so caught up about the money. If you make money or don't make money or don't make as much as you want or whatever, it won't matter because why do we want money in the first place to help us enjoy our life, right? Well, if you're enjoying your life because what you do is enjoyable, the money becomes eh, but you will make money because happiness and passion just attracts people. And when you attract people and it's a product, then they want to pay you for it. So you don't, won't really have to worry about the money so much. I want to be a golden ending to a wonderful episode. <laughs> <laughs> that was well said. Do you want, and we should probably should talk to this beforehand, but do you want to put, do you have social media for your dance studios or anything that we can promote or let it go? Where can we, where can we connect with you? At jive.dance, dance studio. Oh my gosh, I have to look. Um, I have to tell you guys, honestly, one of the reasons why I love my life so much and how I can kind of keep all the comparisons and stuff at bay is I, I am social media free. Like I don't use Facebook. I don't use Instagram. I don't use Twitter. I don't use Snapchat. I mean, I have, um, 
I have to like check on our posts and stuff. You know what I mean? And just make sure everything's being. You mean personally though, you have it for the studio for business. My studio has it and I don't do the posts and I don't create the content for it. I just, you know, say, Hey, we need something that talks about something like this. Here's a caption you could maybe use for this or that, but I don't personally do it because first of all, I suck at it because I don't engage in it, but it has really just using it for my business and keeping myself away from it really just helps my spirit stay vibrant and fresh and not in a lot of group think and stuff like that, you know, so, and less comparison, I think, than if I was using social media. Um, it's jive.dancestudio. That is our Instagram. Jive.dancestudio. Jive.dancestudio. So promote if you would like, but. Absolutely, we will. But whatever, you know, we're just, the people, the people that are going to come are going to come. And the ones who aren't, aren't going to. And I feel confident to just let people come to it if they're inspired, you know. What about for your retreats? Is there a way people can look more into that? No, because I don't, I'm not really doing it on like a regular basis. I just get a, a wash of like, mm, I want to do something that feels so good for my spirit. Let me prepare a retreat. And then I'm like, Hey, let's do a retreat. And then I, you know, just find somebody who has like a really big social media following and say, Hey, you know, do you want to be part of this in some way? And then they blast it out to their people and I get to design it and lead it. And so no, it's just kind of spontaneous. And just when I feel like putting something out into the universe that I don't need to make money for. And I just want to be creative, you know, that's awesome. That's a cool hobby to have. I love it. Um, I'm really proud of you guys for doing a podcast. Hey, thanks. Well, thank you. It's that, like, that can't be very easy to come up with all the interview questions and things like that, but creative and challenging and the editing and all of that stuff. Yeah. I think this is one of those things like your retreats for you. Like we're not making money doing this, but I'm sure having a good time. Yeah. I love that. Isn't that amazing to find those things? We've met incredible people through this. Unbelievable stories of people. That is so cool. Aren't people just amazing <laughs> couldn't have said it better myself they really are. are and guess what all three of us are part of the people so we are too we're all part of the people so thank you so much for having me and if there i would love to have a copy of this if i ever you know i don't know what i would need it for but you never know yep we can make that happen We'll send you links but I'll also give you a link where you can download the live edit oh i would love that when you're done I would love it. Thanks so much for having me. That was so fun. And you know what? I was, I was nervous today because I was like, what am I, what do I have to even talk about? But everyone has a story, right? That's right. And they're all valuable. Thank you, Gina. Yes. Thanks so much, you guys. Yeah. I appreciate you. Thanks for being with us. 